there's this moment in my house on Christmas Eve, and it may be like my favorite moment of every Christmas season. Maybe you have a moment like this, and it's usually late into the night, and my kids are finally in the rooms, kind of tired, tuckered out, and somehow the anticipation of what's to come the next morning has, has quieted them down to sleep finally, and my wife and I have picked up the house, and we've gotten everything ready for what's to come the next morning, and we've turned out all the lights, but there's one light that I haven't turned out yet, and it's the, the light of the Christmas tree. And so I take a moment, and I just kind of have a seat. Sometimes my wife may join me and, and enjoy the warm glow of the Christmas tree on this night, because there's a, there's a part of this moment that stands out to me, because it's a, it's a moment of stillness. It's this moment of, of calm and of quiet. And there's, there's something that's true of this moment that, that hasn't been true of the weeks leading up to this moment. Because in this moment, there's peace. And I try to hold on to this, this moment of peace as long as I possibly can because I know that it's probably only a matter of time until whatever peace is true of this moment is about to be replaced by the excitement of what's to come the next morning that whatever peace is true in this moment is gonna be replaced by the excitement of the presence and the, the urgency of finding batteries and of just picking up the house and getting ready for the guests that are gonna be walking through the door and the time that we're gonna be spending together. But for this moment, there's peace. And if there's something that we maybe celebrate more than anything this time of year at Christmas, it's peace, isn't it? And maybe that's because the thing that we need more than anything this time of year is peace. It's kind of ironic that in a season that we celebrate peace, it's a season that's filled, known to be filled with more activity and stress than any other time of the year. And I wonder if maybe the reason we celebrate peace this time of year isn't simply because this is what we need this time of year. I wonder if we celebrate it because this is what we need more than anything ever, is peace. It's a time when we always take a moment and we draw close to the manger of a newborn savior and we draw close and sing to him to sleep in heavenly peace, right? And yet what I think is what we most need in our lives is for this newborn savior to draw close to us and to sing his heavenly peace over us. Peace in our lives, peace in our world, peace in our relationships with one another, peace in our hearts as we look into a new year filled with all of its unknowns. And so today we're going to spend some time talking about peace, but I just, before we do, I want you to maybe step into this moment with me and just consider for you, where is it that you could really use the gift of God's peace this year? What's the relationship or the situation or the decision or whatever it may be that you're in the midst of that is kind of defined more by conflict and stress than it is by peace. And if you would, just, just take a moment and think or pray about that. Where is it in your life that you could use the peace of God this Christmas?
So God, I thank you that now we can come to you and whatever it is that maybe you've brought into our hearts or our minds, the places that seem to be filled with turbulence or stress or whatever it may be. Lord, that these are places that you want to meet us with your peace. That if Christmas is a promise of anything, it's that peace is possible even here in these moments that you've brought to our hearts. And so as we hear from you today through stories and through your word, Lord, I pray that we would experience your peace together. And Jesus, it's you, our Prince of Peace, who makes all this possible. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, I hope you'll hold on to whatever area it is for you that, brought, that God brought to your mind of an area that, that you could really use a run-in with peace this Christmas. Maybe even write it down if you want. Just make sure it stands out clear for you because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. But we've been in this series this month, as Dan said, where we've been leaning into the season of Advent. And for those of us who are newer to church, we don't have a lot of traditions around here at Heartland, so we're borrowing this tradition from the Bigger Sea Church because Advent is this tradition that has really spanned for centuries across churches all over the world. And it's a way that we can kind of prepare our hearts, as the song says, for the coming arrival, the coming Christmas that we're nearing. And, and what hosting does for our homes, as we've said, is, is what Advent does for our hearts. That it makes room in our crowded hearts for, the, for, our hearts for the, the arrival of Jesus and the arrival of all the things that Jesus brings with him that he wants us to experience in our hearts at Christmas too. Things like, things like wonder. That we can make room in our hearts for wonder. And things like joy. Not the supernatural kind of fleeting joy that, that we sometimes think about or celebrate, but the steadfast joy that we can have in Jesus. Things like, things like one another. Last week we learned that, that as Jesus, you know, restores our relationship with God, as God makes room in his love for us, we can also make room in our lives and love for one another and experience God and his love more deeply. And so today we're going to go one more week into this fourth week of Advent, nearing the arrival of Christmas by talking about peace. And as I say that, there, there may be nothing more kind of expected at Christmas than talking about peace right? I mean, we heard it last week. We already read the passage where the angels showed up on the night of Jesus' birth, and, and there was kind of this grand chorus of heaven shouting to the shepherds out in the fields nearby, peace on earth, right? Following the prophecies that had been in the hearts of people for, for centuries that a prince of peace would come. And that's kind of how we talk about peace in the church, but we also hear about it on the radio stations and in the world as we go around and we listen to John Lennon and Yoko Ono telling us that war is over, Right? But is it? Has peace really come? Does it really feel like there's, there's any less peace? After, you know, 2,000 years of celebrating the arrival of peace in a newborn child in a manger on this Christmas Eve, and yet do we really feel like there's any more peace in this world than there was then? See, I think there's a risk to talking about peace. Because peace kind of feels like it's over-promised and under-delivered, even, even here when we talk about it in the, in the church. And I think the, the risk is that when we start talking about peace, because we feel like there really isn't any more peace in this world than there was, because we, we find ourselves surrounded by, by conflict and by stress and by tension and urgency, the risk is that when we start talking about peace, that we just kind of treat it like one of the Christmas cards that we might get in the mail. And we look at it and it maybe makes us smile and we hold on to it, maybe even hang it on the fridge for a little bit. But then once the season is over, we just toss that card aside. And I think we can do that with peace too, if we're not careful, that because we've been disappointed by peace, we just kind of 
hold on to it for a little bit and then let it go until next year when we start talking about peace again. And maybe the reason why this is, is because of the kind of peace that we, that we want and that we want peace to look like. Consider what the dictionaries tell us peace is. That, that peace is tranquility. That peace is freedom from conflict. Does that describe any of your years? Any, any of you this year, does that, has, has, the millions of times that someone has asked you how you're doing this year, at one, any point have you ever said, you know what, I'm really tranquil these days. Has, has anyone really had a period of their life that's lasted more than maybe two breaths that has been free of conflict? No, it hasn't. You know, even as I was writing this message this week, many of you were, were, were cleaning up water in your basements and and waiting for power to be restored because of the storms that came through our region this week. As I was writing this, I was getting emails from my school district, my kids' school district, telling us, you know, just making us known about some of the threats of violence in schools all over the country this week. It doesn't feel like there's really a whole lot of tranquility or freedom for conflict anywhere. Even, even in the song that we love to sing we, sing, we sing of peace as being a silent night when all is calm and all is bright. But, but is it? Now, I want to I be careful. I don't want to like, you know, completely dismiss one of my favorite Christmas songs and ruin it for the both of us because what I think that song gets right and other songs this Christmas that talk about peace is that there's something about Christmas that makes peace possible for you and me that otherwise wouldn't be possible without the arrival of Jesus. That without the arrival of Jesus, our hope for peace would be hopeless. And so what we celebrate at Christmas, what I, what I want us to hear today is not only does Christmas make peace possible, but Christmas also helps us understand and see what peace truly, really is. That it's not what the dictionaries tell us peace should be. And so if there's one thing I want us to hold on to, hold on to today, this is, this is it right here. This is kind of the main idea that I want us to be able to grasp is that, is that peace is not the absence of conflict, but peace is the presence of God in the midst of it. Just think about that for a second. That peace is not the absence of God from conflict. And to be fair, I could, there's any number of words I could have used in the place of conflict. That, that peace is not the absence, that peace is not the absence of trouble or of adversity. That peace is not the absence of stress, but, but peace is the presence of God in the midst of those things. That peace is not the absence of loneliness or disappointment or even depression that may be involved in our lives or anxiety, but peace is the presence of God in the midst of those things, in the midst of the things that we wish would disappear so that we could finally experience peace. In fact, just look at how Jesus talks about peace. Now, this is a few decades uh, down the road from the night that Jesus was born. And he's been talking to his followers and telling them that there's a time that's going to come when he's no longer here. And he's getting them ready for this and what they need to know. And he tells them, and he tells us, he says in John 16, I have told you all of these things so that you may have peace. And then he, he, he kind of drops a couple realities that we have to grapple with. One is that in this, in this world, he says, you will have trouble. In fact, some of your translations will say, in this world, you will have suffering. In fact, Jesus, just note here, and nowhere in this does Jesus promise an absence of conflict or suffering or trouble in our lives. In fact, he promises the exact opposite. He says, you will. There's a certainty to this, that you will have trouble and suffering in your lives. And if you're one of the followers of Jesus and you're, and you're listening to this, you're thinking to yourself, maybe, what gives Jesus? This is kind of a head scratcher. You know, wasn't it, wasn't the angels who were singing over your birth a few decades ago that, that peace had come on earth and here you are? 
here you are, apparently you're telling us that we're going to have peace, but you're also telling us that we're going to have suffering and trouble. Because for the followers of Jesus, and sometimes for us too, we want peace to be the absence of these things. And Jesus wants us to know that peace is actually the presence of God in the midst of these things. And that's why Jesus keeps on going in this passage. And he says, he says, you will have trouble, but take heart. It's this, this phrase that kind of means, but, but have courage. Don't lose hold of the courage that needs to be in your heart because, and this is the other reality he gives us, because I have overcome the world. And this is where our peace comes from, not from the absence of suffering or conflict, but from the fact that Jesus has overcome the world. And even more than that, that Jesus, that, that, that when you're in these circumstances that, that feel more overwhelming and challenging, that, they, that they, they're so overwhelming that that make you question where God is. You ever had one of those moments? Or maybe you've had one of the moments that, that, that make you wonder if God is. He says, when you find yourselves in one of those kinds of circumstances, that you can know this, he gives us this promise that I have overcome the world. And not only do I reign over those circumstances, but I am also with you in the midst of those circumstances. You see, that's the kind of peace that God makes possible in our lives. The peace is not the absence of conflict from our lives, but it's the presence of God in the midst of these things. And as I've been reflecting on this, this Christmas season, as we've been going through Advent, looking forward to the Sunday as we talk about peace, for whatever reason, God keeps taking my thoughts to Joseph. You know Joseph? The carpenter? The stepdad of Jesus? You know, we kind of know Joseph as, as this, this dutiful husband in our nativity scenes. We always portray him as the, as the faithful, steadfast husband standing, standing quietly behind his wife as they're there at the manger scene. And we're going to read about Joseph in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And if, you, if you're new to the Bible, there's four books of the Bible that tell us about the, story, the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And two of them actually tell us the story of his birth. Luke, which, which kind of in, in long form tells us about this from Neri's perspective. And then we have Matthew, who gives us Joseph's perspective. And if you read that, you're going to start to, to understand that, that, that Matthew does this because he wants us to get to experience this through Joseph's eyes. He wants us to enter the drama. He wants us to be able to start to imagine some of the things that Joseph might have felt as he found himself in these crazy set of circumstances that we're going to look at today. And he wants you and I to think about what would we do if we were in Joseph's shoes. And so before we jump in, I got to tell you, I have a little bit of history with Joseph. Um, when I was a kid, my parents took me and my siblings, my two brothers and sister, to a church that um, did one of those Christmas pageants every year with the kids. You know, any of you been in one of those churches, been in one of those pageants? This is, this is kind of church's excuse for people. This is when adults buy large amounts of fabric and wrap kids in them with pieces of rope. <laughs> and we portray these biblical scenes and stories. And so when we did the Christmas pageant every year, what role do you think every boy in my church wanted to play? Joseph, right. Yeah, he's like one of the leading characters. You know, he's got a few lines even, and then the girl he gets, and then in the end he gets the girl. And, and so, of course, I wanted the role of Joseph too, but I, I never got to play Joseph. Tim Bounds got to play Joseph. <laughs> You're out there, Tim. I got to play shepherd number three. Until one year when I got promoted to one of the three wise men, which just meant that I got to wear a crown made of cardboard wrapped in tinfoil, but that was kind of the peak of my church pageant career. So that's a little bit of my history with Joseph. 
And when it comes to Joseph, you may wonder, why are we looking at Joseph to talk about peace? Because what you'll notice is nowhere in Matthew's account of Joseph does the word peace actually show up. And this is, this is one of the ways that our church indexes and our concordances kind of, kind of fall short. Um, because even though peace doesn't show up, the word doesn't show up in Matthew 1 that we're going to look at. Peace is written all over Joseph's story. And the reason is because I think Joseph's story shows us the struggle that every single one of us can have with peace. Yeah, I, think, I think all of us, there's, there's something that we go to that we try to find our peace in. It might be a, a place that we feel like brings peace, makes peace possible for us. It might be a person in our life. But for Joseph, you see, he had a plan. Joseph had a plan for marriage, we're going to find out. When we meet him, there's good reason to believe that Joseph was maybe just, just a few years older than Mary. The custom of the day is that, that women would be wed in their early to middle teens, and, and the fellows would be just a few years older than that. And the other custom of the day was that once a couple got engaged, the, the groom would actually go off and depart his, his bride for a while as he, as he built a home for them to move into and to live in following uh, the completion of their wedding. And this is kind of the imagery that later on, if you know, Jesus uses when he talks about leaving the earth and he says, he says I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Um, he's referencing some of the wedding imagery of the day. That he's leaving us, the bride, in anticipation of our wedding to Jesus, the groom, when we get to go live with him for eternity. That's what he's kind of, he's kind of borrowing some of the imagery that Joseph and Mary were actually in the midst of as they were looking forward to their wedding. And so we can kind of imagine that after they got engaged, you know, Joseph went off and he was probably, you know, this 18-year-old love-struck Romeo who was nailing a roof on the home, his newlywed home that he was going to move his new bride into. And he's, as he's up there nailing this roof to the house, I wonder how he was imagining the wedding that was going to take place. And he was thinking about their wedding day, and, and maybe Joseph was dreaming and, and, and planning for the, for the life that they were going to have together, that maybe they were going to spend a couple years just kind of getting to enjoy one another and have fun being, being, being newlyweds until a day would come when maybe they wanted to start a family and have a couple Joseph Juniors running around. And it's somewhere in that moment, through the grapevine, Joseph finds out that his bride is pregnant. That the bride that he had waited for, that the, the bride that he had planned a wedding for, that the bride that he had planned a life and a family with had become pregnant. Now, if you're Joseph in this situation, what would you do? If you're Joseph in this situation, what would you feel as all of your plans that you had put together fell to pieces? This is how Matthew tells a little bit of Joseph's story. In chapter 1, Matthew writes, Because Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now, notice at the beginning that, or somewhere in there, Matthew tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. This is to say that Joseph knew what the consequences were, what the, what the law said the consequences were for, for anyone who was found to be impure before their, before their wedding. And let's just say, in that day and age, it was not good. At best, Mary and her family, her whole family, were going to suffer public disgrace and be forever cast out of society for the rest of their lives. 
And so what do you do if you're, if you're Joseph and the plans that you had for your life are broken and, and you still maybe feel some sort of fondness and love and affection for a, a girl who broke your heart? Well, Joseph makes another plan. Because plan A failed, he comes up with plan B. He says, you know what? I'm going to save her from this public disgrace and I'm just going to break off the engagement quietly so that hopefully no one finds out about this. But then I can go on with my life and she can go on with hers until an angel shows up one night and tells Joseph not to go through with it. Says the pregnancy that his fiance has is actually through the power of God's Holy Spirit. And that he should go through and marrying her and helping her to raise this child because this child will become the savior of his people and will save the world from their sins. And that's evidence enough for Joseph to give up on his plans, to let this other plan fall through and go through with the wedding to marry. But, but two times, Joseph's plans are foiled. Two times his, his plans don't, don't come to fruition. Now, why, why is that? Why am I harping on plans? Because I think that there's something about plans that for us, for you and me, can sometimes get in the way of the peace that we want in our life. Here's, here's what I mean. I don't think Joseph is the only one here today that has plans, right? I mean, maybe, maybe you have some plans. I have some plans too. Some of you, and I'm not dogging plans. Hear me out. Some of you are all out planners. You've got books with that word written on the front of them, right? I plan this message. We plan the service. We're planning Christmas Eve. Some of you work in careers with planning. You do event planning or financial planning or healthcare management planning, other planning things that you do. Plans are good. They help us prepare for, for what's to come. They give us kind of a spirit of expectation and, and readiness. But if, if there's a danger to plans, it's when we look to them to give us the peace that they can't give us. You see, the danger of plans is when we expect them to give us peace that they're not capable of. That plans give us, let's be honest, a sense of security, but maybe almost sometimes too much of a sense of security. That, that, that plans, also, at a deeper level, plans make us feel like we're in control of something. And if there's something that messes with our peace more than anything, I think it's when we find out that we're not nearly in as much control of something that we think we are, right? And that's the danger of plans. See, plans never provide peace in the way of our life the way God's presence can. They never can. Although they promise it, although we wish that they would. See, see, as special as Christmas is and as wonderful as this season is, if there's a difficulty to it, and there is, I think it can be summed up by the fact that Christmas reminds you and me of the fragility of our plans. That, that during this Christmas season, even in the midst of all of the joy and all of the lights and all of the things that we celebrate, the reality of Christmas is it has this power to remind us of some of our best laid plans that never came to pass. In fact, right now, there's maybe some plan that isn't coming together in your life the way that you had hoped it would. Or maybe right now there's some plan that you had made early in your life that, that didn't come to pass some time ago. You know, there are some of you that, that didn't plan to be in this season of your life without someone by your side. For some of you, it may be a season of retirement that you dreamt of and that you worked toward and you planned for with a certain someone right beside you, but they didn't make it into this season of your life with you. For some of you, you never planned for the day when you were going to drop off a family member or a child in rehab. You never planned for that that relative or the friend who, who hasn't called in years. And you know that this Christmas may not be any different. For some of you, 
For some of us today, there may be a job that, that didn't work out the way that you planned, or maybe a marriage. For some of us today, maybe, maybe everything in your life has actually worked out exactly to a T the way that you planned, but there was one thing you couldn't plan on, which was your health. And for some of you, maybe you have everything in your life that you planned on, but what you didn't plan on was that it couldn't provide the peace that you hoped that those plans would. You see, we all have plans. We all make them. And the mistake that we made is when we expect them to give us the peace that only God's presence can provide. Because even with our best plans, you and I will never have, plan have lives that are free from conflict or disappointment. But what we can have is the presence of God in the midst of those things. And for, for Joseph, the presence of God meant something. You see, you see that the Hebrew scriptures that as a righteous man, Joseph would have been really familiar with, could not have had a higher regard for the presence of God and what was possible when the presence of God was near. See, it was the presence of God who, who hovered above the waters in creation in Genesis 1, bringing order out of chaos. It was the presence of God who walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It was the presence of God who led the Hebrew people out of Egypt into freedom. It was the presence of God who even in the midst of their unfaithfulness and their failure of devotion to God, as the Israelites were, were scattered across the known world, it was the presence of God who remained with them in the midst of their failure, in the midst of their separation from one another. You see, just from some of these glimpses of, of Israel's history that I pulled out, here's some of the verses that remind us of God's peace that were pulled right out of those scenes from this story. It says in Deuteronomy 31, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 39 says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to the east or to the west, even there, you are there. You are with me. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And see, the thing about these, these verses are, they were written by people in conflict. They were written, written by people in conflict and for people who were going through conflict. That, that the conflict of slavery or the conflict of sin or the conflict of separation from, from one another. But even in that conflict, God was with them. And that's what I think we need to hold on to as well. And maybe Joseph did as well. Because in the midst of these, these passages in, Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there was, a, there was another promise, a prophecy of God's withness, of God's presence with his people. And it's a, a prophecy from Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, that, that Matthew actually includes in his retelling of Joseph's story about the birth of Jesus. That it says that all of this, that, that the birth of Jesus, Matthew writes, and the way that it happened took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The presence of God is where we find the peace that you and I most need in our lives. See, peace isn't a plan. Peace isn't even just a promise. It's not just a, a pretty lyric in a song that we sing. Peace is the person of Jesus. It's the presence of God with us. And that's the peace that you and I most need in our lives. 
And so if you go back to a few moments ago when I had you think about what's an area of your life that you need the peace of God, a a decision or a situation at work or maybe your finances or whatever it may be, a relationship with a family member, where do you need the peace of God? My question for you today is how will you receive the peace of God? If what Christmas makes possible is not only an understanding of what peace is, that it's the presence of God in our circumstances, but it's also the ability to experience that peace. I think it happens when when we don't try to strive our way into peace, but we just receive it from God as a gift, to use a Christmas word, as a gift that he wants to give us. And so I I wanna talk through some ways just as we close out our time today, just offer up a few ways that we can actually receive and experience the presence, the peaceful presence of God in our life. And I want to do so using a guy who shows up later in the New Testament by the name of Paul. And Paul had a pretty huge regard for peace. He was a guy whose, whose life had been in turmoil and had been in, in conflict with Jesus until, until God did a work in his heart. And Paul began to experience that peace and write about that peace to, to people all over the known world. And so if if peace is the person of Jesus, it means we can have a personal experience with Jesus like like Paul did. And I want to give us a few ways that we can experience that peace today. And here's the the first one. We'll touch on these kind of briefly. The first way you can experience peace is by letting the peace of God guard you. Letting the peace of God guard you. You see, when when Paul was was writing to one of the churches, the Philippians, he he was aware that they were really wrestling with some deep worry. And he says to them, I don't want you to be anxious about anything. And if there's something that can rob us of peace, maybe more than anything else, it's the presence of anxiety, isn't it? It's this place that we find our heart in that just kind of is all tangled up in in knots. And we don't know, and and that, that just kind of grows and crowds out the room for any sort of peace in our life that we really, really need. And he says, don't be anxious about anything, which sounds really easy for someone to write. Don't be anxious. But he gives an alternative. He says, but instead... Make your request known to God. He's talking about prayer, which may feel like some sort of magical or, or maybe there's like a formulaic thing to it. But he says, really, all it is is bring your anxiety, bring the stuff that's tying you up and just place it before God. Because when we take our heart and we soak it into the presence of God that we have, he says that's when we experience the peace of God that he tells us, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And that that peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That we need to know today that the peace of God, the presence of God is not only with us, but it's actually guarding us, protecting us, looking out for us, watching over us the way that only the peace of God can. And so when we look to God for our peace, not our plans, not ourselves, not one another, that's, that's when we experience the peace of God and its ability to guard us guard our hearts. So maybe this Christmas is just taking that area that you identified and soaking it in the presence of God through prayer and asking God to guard your hearts and minds in that area. Second way we can experience peace is, is let the peace of God rule you. So Paul, St. Paul, different letter, different church, he writes to the Colossians. He says, he, he, he says uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts in Colossians 3. Literally, if we break that verse down, it says, let the peace of Christ control you. Let it reign over you. Let the peace of Christ conquer you. You sometimes forget that that peace is kind of wartime terminology, right? 
And so for peace to happen, sometimes there has to be a fight that happens. And the place that that happens, once again, is in our heart. He says, let the peace of Christ rule you. And it kind of reminds me of this picture of Jesus that maybe Paul had heard about. He wasn't there for it, but he probably heard about it from people who were, where Jesus was, was in a boat and there was storms that were raging and, and, and much worse than what we experienced this week. And the wind was blowing and the water was coming over the edge. And, and then in a moment, almost like the snap of a finger, Jesus calms the storm, just demonstrating to his disciples that, that he ruled over the forces of this world. And I think when we read that, a temptation is, God, would you rule over my circumstances? Would you calm the circumstances that are around me? But what I think, what I know Jesus cares more about, although he can, is he wants to calm the storms that are within you more than he wants to calm the storms that are around you. And when we experience the most is when we finally wave the white flag of our hearts and we say, Jesus, I'm done doing this life without you. Now I want to do my life with you. I know that you came as a child in a manger and lived and died and, and rose from the tomb so that I could experience the forever presence of you with me no, what, no matter what I may go through. And so I want to invite you, would you rule over my heart? And maybe this is a Christmas when you, when you can ask for him to do that. But it, we never stop asking for that. And Christmas reminds us that once again, we always need to invite the Prince of Peace to rule over our hearts. And here's, here's the last way that I think we can receive the gift of God's peace this Christmas, and it's to let the peace of God hold you. See, Paul, earlier in his letter to the Colossians, he's writing about Jesus. And he, and he says to them that, that Jesus was the first born, born over all creation, and that he is before all things, and that in him all things are held together, held together. And I think for, for many of us today, maybe the, the lack of peace that we have in our life is because there's something for you maybe that you're holding together that you're not so sure how much longer you can hold it. You know, maybe for you, what you're trying to hold together is a, a marriage. Maybe what you're trying to hold together is hope. Or maybe what you're trying to hold together is the ability to care for someone in your life. But you need someone to be holding you. And I wonder if the peace that Jesus wants you to experience this Christmas is the assurance that he who holds all things together, who is before all things, are hold, can hold you too. And the reason I say that is also because when we look back at Joseph's story, I think there was probably many moments when, when he held Jesus. You know, as a father rocking his son to sleep at night or as Jesus was growing up and, and picking Jesus up and, and holding him in his arms the way, that a, the way that a proud and loving father did. But I think a time came when G for Joseph, he had to realize that it wasn't so much him who was holding Jesus anymore. It was his savior, Emmanuel, the peace of God who was holding him. See, we don't know much more about Joseph's story. We know that he was around for a little bit of Jesus' life and then at some point, for whatever reason, he disappears from Jesus' story. Which means that we know that as the father of his newborn son, Joseph didn't get to stand off the distance and watch Jesus preach his first sermon on a mount. That Joseph didn't get to do the things that he hoped and planned he probably could as a father. That he could teach Jesus how to hit a baseball or whatever the equivalent of what that was back in the day or teach him how to ride a donkey. <laughs> but we know for sure that, G that Joseph 
didn't get to stand next to his bride, Mary, and comfort her as they watched their son and the son of God suffer and die for them on a cross. I'm sure that there were plans that Joseph had in his life that were shattered somehow, but I don't think that mattered to him. Because what we see in Matthew 1 was that he learned that the presence of God in whatever circumstances that he faced, that the presence of God was more powerful than the absence of anything else, that the presence of God was the only thing that could give him peace far more and far greater than any set of plans that he could have for himself. And so as the band plays the song for us, I I just want to give us some space before we go back out into the, the busyness of this week, awesome as it will be, to just consider the question, how will you receive the peace of God this Christmas? How can the peace of God guard you, rule over you, hold you, be with you? And so maybe it's a time to sing, maybe it's a time to pray, maybe it's a time just to think and ponder. And if this whole peace of God thing and Jesus and church are new to you, just know that as Dan said, the overwhelming, reckless love of God is here for you in this moment, pursuing you so that you can experience what Jesus was born 2,000 years ago for you to experience, which is peace. That, there is no greater gift for you this Christmas than that.